welcome to Engage with Eagle Forum. My name is Tabitha Walter and I'm the political director of Eagle Forum. I'm joined by my colleague, Kirsten Hasler. Today we are speaking to an inspiring young woman. Petrina Mosley is the director of Life, Culture, and Women's Advocacy at Family Research Council. Her writings and research examine the sanctity of life and women's dignity issues in policy and culture. She specializes in advocating for women in matters of abortion, sex trafficking, and pornography. She has written a myriad of articles in various news outlets and recently testified at a Senate hearing on the Born Alive Survivors Protection Act, which we will touch on in a little bit. She has personally been a good friend and confidant to me. So I'm very excited to have her on the podcast. Welcome, Petrina. Hey, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So let's start off by discussing how you got involved in these issues and why you are so passionate about them. Well, I got started, frankly, by accident. Um, I, As a Christian, I was pro-life, but then when I took a worldview class at Liberty University, they described the abortion techniques, and it was the most uncomfortable class I've ever been in. And I just remembered I wanted to just throw up in my seat. And I couldn't believe something like that was actually happening in our country. And from then on, I was like, you know what? I knew the, the term abortion sounded bad. Now I know it's bad. And I never want to be a part of anything like that again. And um, so I became more convicted in my pro-life beliefs. But then um, years later, some ministry came to our campus and started handing out the documentary Ma'afa 21. And that documents how abortion has roots in eugenics and that abortion is a tool to control the population of the poor, the disabled, and particularly minorities. And so watching this two-hour documentary blew my mind. It's still today one of the most well-made documentaries. And for me, I just became more personally invested because I realized this was an agenda that was against me as a minority. So basically my Christian faith and then realizing that, hey, there's some bad people out there with some evil ideas who are using abortion to do bad things, but calling it women's rights and using women as a props when really there's a whole uh, another agenda that's a part of this industry. You are not shy about exposing Planned Parenthood's ill intentions. Can you talk about what you have learned about this massive abortion giant and how they target specific people? Yeah, I mean, Planned Parenthood, interesting enough, they are not really shy about who they are either. I mean, you look at their most recent report that they do every year on their finances you'll see where they highlight targeting historically black colleges. You see where they highlight gaining poor from black ministers in, in the community. You see where they highlight sending out Spanish speakers into Hispanic communities to promote Planned Parenthood, calling them, well, I can't say the name in Spanish, I think it's Las Paradas, but basically the promoters in these Hispanic-speaking communities. So when you look at their report, they tell you exactly who they are. Another interesting thing is that when you go through it, they have these pictures in there. The only white person in there is a doctor. Everybody else is a minority. And this is my third time going through the report and doing an analysis on it for FRC, and it's been the same consistent pattern. So just those little things, they will tell you exactly who they are, but more importantly, you look at where they're located, over 80% of their facilities are located and within walking distance of minority communities. And that's not an accident because you have black women who are 3.5 times more likely to get an abortion 
and whose African-American population is the slowest growing ethnic group in the U.S., according to the Census Bureau. None of that is by accident when you look at all of these numbers together. And I think what really ties the bow on this quite nicely is that Margaret Sanger herself was a known eugenicist. She was the founder of Planned Parenthood. Um, of course, at the time, in the 30s, she was not promoting abortion, but she was definitely promoting birth control, and her first clinic was in Harlem, New York, a place where a lot of African-Americans gathered and lived. So, I mean, you look at her history, you look at her writings, I mean, these things are public. You can Google these things. They're well-documented, her beliefs in that we should control the breeding of those who may, quote-unquote, suck from society's resources, those who may have some type of disability, and the minorities who they believed were inherently feeble-minded. So um, all of these things there, they're open, they're, they sound fantastical, but when you look at it, you can Google and see the writings for yourself out from her own mouth. And today, that legacy still lives on. And I repeat it again, 80% of Planned Parenthood facilities in minority neighborhoods. Is that a coincidence? Yeah, no, that's that's very shocking. And, and it's great that you've dedicated your life's work to exposing that. Um, I know that you recently went through the Planned Parenthood end-of-the-year report, um, like you talked about. And can you go over some of those statistics of how many abortions they're doing per year, what kind of money that they're taking from taxpayers, and, and those kind of facts? Yeah, so we go through Planned Parenthood's annual financial report every year when they release it, and we it in our publication called The Real Planned Parenthood, Leading the Culture of Death. You can find this at frc.org under the Life Issues tab. And Tabitha, what we've seen from Planned Parenthood's report is that there's been more abortions. Every single year there's been more abortions from Planned Parenthood, Let, yet they claim that it's barely 3% of the services that they do. According to the numbers, Planned Parenthood has aborted 1,768 babies every single day in the fiscal year of 2018. Um, right now, they are the leading abortion provider, holding 40% of the, the market's block on, quote-unquote, supplying abortions. So when you look at that, you see that Planned Parenthood has become the go-to place for profiting off of killing the innocent. I don't know of any other business that gets to put out a financial report off of basically murder. No other organization gets to do that, along with all the scandals that has been involved with, such as um, negotiating under the table for fetal parts, as the Center for Medical Progress has um, exposed. Um, but also, I do want to talk about the fact that they're getting more taxpayer funding than ever before. What we've seen, we've seen great uh, strides in the Title X and getting them to basically defund themselves because they did not want to comply with the new Title X regulations. But unfortunately, they are getting funding from other areas and that their funding increased by $50 million this past fiscal year. And um, while Planned Parenthood holds nonprofit status, its total revenue for the fiscal year 2018 to 2019 was, get this, $1.638 billion, the highest in its history. This is a billion-dollar company. It's crazy. And nearly 40% of that revenue comes from taxpayer dollars, from grants, contracts, and government reimbursements. Okay, so a big win in the Trump administration this past year was the Title X regulations, where they said for an organization to receive Title X funding, then you have to separate financially and physically mm -hmm. your abortion business from your other uh, 
services, services yes. that you provide, so your other health care services. So Planned Parenthood had come out and said that they're not going to accept Title X funding, but what are the other federal funds that they're receiving? Great question. They're receiving government contracts between state health departments for other reasons, such as their teen pregnancy programs. Um, they're receiving aid from places that do, I would guess you would call those women's health, reproductive checks, miscarriage management for things that happen in uh, different clinics. So, I mean, they have the ability to receive funds from other places that are more state-based, but that money is fungible. Mm -hmm. When we look at Planned Parenthood or any organization, it's basically one money bucket. And so when you give money to this organization, they can move that money around to do whatever they want to do. But like you said, fortunately, we have made it clear that Planned Parenthood is not, should not be considered family planning. And I think we still have a, a lot more to do, but I think a great first step has been taken with the Title X uh, regulation saying that, look, first off, family planning was never meant to include abortion. So Planned Parenthood, we know that you're the leading abortion provider. We know that money is fungible. Unless you can do a physical and a, a fiscal separation of your services and money, from abortion services, then you're not you're not qualified to receive Title X family planning, and so I think that was a good first step because abortion is not family planning. Abortion is not health care, and fortunately, it opened up a lot more resources to give to life affirming entities such as O'Brien, that won um, an award from HHS. I think it was like over five million. So this is good. This is a good first step, but there's obviously more to do. So we, we talked a little bit about what's been done at the federal level. Is there any legislation that is happening that is helping prevent, you know, the abortion industry from continuing its terrible murder on so many innocent lives? We're trying to get more life-affirming entities to apply for Title X grants now that we have an administration that's willing to say, look, abortion is not family planning and abortion is not women's health care. So that's kind of been the focus now, and we're kind of just making sure that as we're giving more resources to places that are life-affirming that we're also requiring abortionists to see that infants who survive abortion attempts should be given medical care. So that's kind of the next step of where we're going now, um, pain-capable, making sure that infants who are capable of feeling pain are protected. There are still some things in the works that you know require the will and the courage to make sure Planned Parenthood is not getting federal dollars and you know I can't say everything at this point but there's some things in the works but there's definitely a lot more we need to be doing and we will do but for right now um, we're trying to get more life-affirming entities into the title 10 program so one of the efforts on the federal level is the born alive survivors protection act and you recently was invited as an expert witness to the Senate Judiciary Committee, and you gave an expert testimony on that bill. So can you talk about your experience and then why um, that is an important piece of legislation that should be passed? Yeah, um, so, I mean, this whole ordeal when, with Born Alive Infants kind of came into play when New York kind of lit up their Empire State Building, declaring that they're now going to be in progress of women's health by demanding abortion on, um, by having abortion on demand to the day of birth. And so, as Americans, we've already seen what happens to infants who are born alive from an abortion attempt. We've, we've seen Gosnell. We've, we've seen 
infants who've had their necks snipped and put in shoe boxes. So, I mean, a lot of Americans were kind of taken aback by, by New York's so-called progression. Then you have Virginia Governor Ralph Northam saying, but basically endorsing infanticide. I won't go into his quotes for right now. So you kind of had Americans be reinvigorated with the fact that there should be, A, more restrictions on third trimester abortions, and then secondly, um, you know, maybe we're not okay with leaving infants to die after an abortion attempt. Like, even for people who are pro-choice, they're like, yeah, yeah, okay, a woman's body, blah, blah, blah. But, man, we don't want to go too far and say, man, babies should be left to die. And I think that's... That's a good thing. It's a shame that we've had to get that far. But um, that's why this bill has come into into light, because this issue has so galvanized um, even people who consider themselves pro-choice. So uh, what this particular bill would do, the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act, would require medical practitioners to give care to infants who survive abortions. So they already defied, these infants have already defied the odds of surviving a violent act as abortion shouldn't they be given medical care as any other infant patient and so that's all that this bill says to do and then you have of course the democrats who have now become comfortable with their extremity on abortion i'm going to say that and and seemingly either blase about infanticide or endorsing it so what we are saying is that these in- instances do happen. The Democrats and the pro-choice community are saying, well, these instances don't happen. Well, we have over 143 infants who have survived abortions, according to the latest CDC report. And right now, we only have eight states that report on that type of information. And just from those eight states, we have over 170 cases of infants who are born alive. So it does happen. The question becomes, what happens to those infants after they're born alive? Are they given care or are they murdered? What we do know is what happened with Gosnell. So what we want to do is get ahead of that and say there should be some requirements to treat this child the same as any other infant who's been born, no discrimination, and give them care. So I think it's important to note that in the House of Representatives, there's also been an effort to bring up the Born Alive Survivors Protection Act, um, specifically by the minority members of Congress. And sadly... The Democratic leadership has refused to bring this bill up to the floor for a full House vote. And the Republicans have decided to implement a measure called a discharge petition, which needs 218 signatures to force a vote on the House floor. And so this is a way for you to engage. We need your help in asking your representatives to sign the discharge petition. And we will include a link on who has signed it and who has not so that you're able to identify which members and if your member needs to be contacted. Um, So we can get this bill moving. And Petrina, I think we have some good news coming up in the Senate. Can you expand a little bit about that effort? So we do have a combination bill coming up that would include pain-capable protections for infants as well as protections for infants who survive abortion. Uh, That is coming soon. And this particular bill that I testified on was was a bill sponsored by Senator Ben Sass, and it is a strictly Born Alive Infants Protection Act. And like I said, it would require medical care to be given to these infants. So we do expect a vote on that and uh, for that to move pretty quickly and positively. Um, And then we'll see about the other bill that includes the combo protections. So along with these bills, there are always bills moving in the House and the Senate, whether it's for abortion or against abortion. How can our listeners get the information that they need to engage on these issues? 
Well, you can always go to frcaction.org and I believe there on our resource tab, you click that and you can actually see a link to the discharge petition and see how many signatures we need from legislators. We're almost there. I think we have over 200. We haven't quite hit 218 yet, but you can go to that page under our resource tab at frcaction.org and see how far uh, we've gotten on this discharge, discharge petition. And the anniversary for that is coming up pretty soon. So it'll be great to have as many legislators sign that as soon as possible and force a vote on this very important issue. So one of the ways that you're engaging the public is you're doing a project where you collect baby hats. Yes. So can you tell us a little bit, bit about that? Yes. So I promise this is not some weird fetish that conservatives are into. <laughs> we love babies so much. We collect baby hats. Uh, no, this is a a project that we wanted to start to help Americans be active in this pro-life movement, particularly when it comes to born alive infants. So like I said earlier, when it came to New York and Virginia, I mean, Americans were just galvanized, even Americans who considered themselves pro-choice. And so when they responded with outrage to the fact that there were infants being left to die, we had to respond with them. And we wanted to give them a way to let Congress know that they're not going to go away quietly, that this is a real issue. So we started the end birthday abortion campaign. And this campaign says that we're going to send 90,000 baby hats to Nancy Pelosi to force a vote on this act to tell her, look, number one, infants who survive abortion does in fact happen. And B, we're not going to go away quietly. And C, to remind her that every infant who is born alive should be receiving a nice warm hat not murder, not death, and not left to die. So these baby hats represent that. And we so far have pretty much reached our goal. We have a, about 90,000 baby hats, and we, go, we are going to deliver them to Nancy Pelosi on Capitol Hill pretty soon. And um, for anyone who still wants to get involved, they can go to inbirthdayabortion.com and purchase a baby hat and add that hat to our collection, add that hat to Nancy Pelosi's new baby hat collection, basically. When Kirsten and I were coming up here to meet you, we saw the baby hats, and it just took us back to when our babies were newborns. And and I think that puts a lot of things into perspective. When you see how tiny these babies are, mm-hmm. but they are living, they're breathing, they're humans, it, it makes a world of difference when you think about babies who are being aborted. And so, Petrina, I appreciate all the work that you're doing. You have done great things uh, to move legislation along. You've been outspoken. You've educated people. And so we're just so happy to have you around in the movement and um, making a difference in society. Thank you. I'm very happy to be working alongside you all at Eagle Form. And, you know, we're, we're all in this together. This is a fight. It took us over 45 years to get to where we're at today. And we've made a lot of progress. Right now, pregnancy resource centers outnumber abortion clinics. Mm-hmm. Abortions are at its lowest since Roe v. Wade. We have done a lot, and um, we're, we're going to keep going for more. Amen. (laughs) Thank you for listening to today's episode of Engage with Eagle Forum. So you never miss an episode, please be sure to subscribe to Engage and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. From your house to the state house to the White House, this is Engage with Eagle Forum.